If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Compelling stories, tough questions, thoughtful analysis. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 CHQR. Join the conversation at 974-8255. Out of town, toll free 1-800-563-7770 or text 403-974-8255. Yes, indeed. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. 974-TALK is our number, 974-8255. More time for your calls and your texts still to come. Uh, but off this hour, I want to top in this hour, I want to talk about memories and how powerful they are, right? And in a lot of ways, memories make us who we are. And memories uh, certainly can be powerful. So you've had those moments where, you know, you hear a song from your childhood or, or catch a whiff of something that reminds you of childhood and how powerful that can be as all those memories come flooding back in. Uh, and we also know, of course, the impact of, of bad memories, traumatic memories. And what that can mean to somebody and, and how debilitating that can be even in some cases. Right. Post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, as an example. So right now, I think we basically treat the symptoms. We don't get at the heart of the matter. The memory's there, right? It happened. What can you do about it? But maybe there is something that can be done about it. Is it possible to erase a memory? I guess that raises a lot of questions, though. What is a memory? How is a memory formed? How is a memory stored? Can you actually go in and and target it? Obviously, if you could, that would be tremendous. If the memory of something awful that happened is causing someone stress, post-traumatic stress disorder in the present, being able to erase or lessen that memory. Now that's getting at the heart of the matter. So that's why I think this is such a fascinating question, and we seem to be making steps in this direction. The latest is some research out of McGill University. The press release uh, recently uh, says, erasure of negative memories one step closer to reality. So how do we get to that reality? I want to explore this uh, in some more detail. Joining us on the line is the uh, co-author of this new study, uh, Dr. Wayne Sawson, uh, with the Sawson Lab, uh, the Montreal, uh, the rather the Montreal Neurological Institute and Hospital at McGill University. Wayne, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get an overview here, first of all, uh, of this new study, what it was you were looking at and, and what you found here. We were um, looking at whether we could um, erase Memories, and in this case, we're looking at a very fundamental uh, organism where we study memory as increases in synaptic strength between neurons. And we were wondering if we could differentiate two different types of memory, uh, associative memories and non-associative memories. These are associative memories you can think of as a major event that causes the memory to be formed, and the non-associative memories are peripheral events that get associated with that additional event that weren't the main memory. And in the system, we showed that we could erase 
either of those two memories without affecting the other one, so that they were actually, f the mechanism for the maintenance of those memories were different. And that was, I think, the main uh, important finding of this study, which suggested that one could target some kinds of memory and not affect other kinds of memory, even if those memories were stored in, in the same neuron in your brain. Right, so that's a big finding. So we're talking about the difference between a memory being created and the process by which we retrieve that memory, essentially. Really, we're, we're, in these studies, we, we are talking about how the memories are made, but we're really memoring, uh, measuring it by erasing the memory. We're not erasing your, like, the ability to retrieve the memory, but the memory is still there. We're actually getting rid of the actual memory by getting rid of the way neurons retain um, changes in this, the strength. So we think memories are stored by increasing the strength of connections between the neurons, or synapses, as we call them. And this study looks at ways of you know, removing those changes in synaptic strength and showing that we could differentially remove that increase in synaptic strength from one kind of memory versus another kind of memory. But obviously, I mean, there, there's a lot of memories we have. How, how do you know that you are targeting the right one? Um, well, we in this study, we can, we're, we're looking at a very reductionist way of looking at it, right? We, we have one neuron and we know how this animal, this, this mollusk that we're studying at, stores associative memories and stores non-associative memories. We know the stimulus that's required to generate those changes in synaptic strength. And the two different neurons were induced in different ways. So one stored the associative memory and one stored the non-associative memory. One input was non-associative, one input was associative. And so we could differentially remove that increase in synaptic strength in those connections. So in our very simple system, we this is the point of studying it in a simple system, we know very strongly that we're removing one kind of memory and not another kind of memory. Um, the, the challenge now will be to show that that holds true in all systems and that we can distinguish between different kinds of memories in, in higher organisms as well, right. so higher at animals. A, at its essence, what is a memory? What's created when a memory is created? It's an increase in the strength of the connection between two neurons in your brain. I'm a, I'm a yeah. cellular and molecular and that's what neuroscientist, and that is how we believe that memories are made and stored. And yeah. we have a lot of evidence that that's how memories are made and stored. Right. Well, I mean, something's happening in the brain. Your brain's something's recording something. It's got to be a physical change, right? Mm -hmm. It's not some, I mean, even, you know, I, I often use the analogies of computers, right? I mean, when a computer makes a memory, there's a physical change in your computer that, that generates the memory. In fact, we know very well how that works. It was one of the things that inspired me to study it is, is studying computer science and realizing, gee, it really seems very simple to, to figure out how memories are stored. We should be able to figure out how they're stored in, in us as well. It turns out to be much more complicated than it is in computers. Right. And the way memories are, are recalled, because it's, it's often not a conscious process. We're, we're not yeah. deliberately trying to remember certain things that these memories, as, as we might put it, they, they haunt us. 
there's a, presumably an entire network of neurons that is involved in any one of your memories. And to recall it, you need to activate some subset of that network. And because of the connections between those neurons, then the entire network would get activated and the memory would be recalled. So we believe that the recall is you know, a network property of the connections between the neurons. So if at some point we're able to target painful, debilitating memories, uh, that it could be either targeting that recall network or it could mean targeting the actual original memory itself. Right. And, you know, our study suggests, I mean, it seems, it seems to me a much more problematic uh, thing to actually erase a real memory that happened to you. I mean, I don't, I think none of us really would, I can't envision really wanting a memory to go away. Memories make you who you are. And the, you know, the memories of events that are even traumatic events are important in, in our identity. The, 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 well, I think the exciting thing about our study is that it suggests that you could remove some peripheral ways that that memory is recalled or peripheral associations associated with that memory without removing the heart of the memory. So um, the example we've been using is you go into a dark alley and get mugged and, you know, you don't want to lose the memory that you were mugged or the memory that you got mugged in a dark alley so you would avoid dark alleys in the future. But there might be a lot of peripheral events that get brought along to that memory, just like well, you got mugged on a Saturday, so you, 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 you know, get fearful on Saturdays, or you saw a mailbox, you know, before you got mugged and you're afraid of mailboxes, or other, you know, peripheral events that be, get brought on when you make a traumatic memory. And we would, these are more of the kind of non-associative memory um, that we were studying. And our study suggests that you might be able to get rid of those peripheral association so that you won't bring back that event every time it's Saturday or every time um, you see a mailbox. But you would, you know, look at that dark alley and say, I'm not going in there again. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think of an example of, you know, someone who's traumatized by a memory of, of witnessing uh, an awful accident in which a loved one dies. And if you could pinpoint that moment of seeing that and erasing it, you don't erase the memory of uh, attending that funeral. You don't erase the memory of... Uh, remembering that loved one. You don't erase the memory of going through, you know, the first significant holiday without that loved one. You have all of these associated memories that follow that are still going to be there, even if somehow you can block out that memory of, of what that person witnessed, for example. I can see that people might want to do that. That is not exactly the what we were showing in, in, in the study. It's not clear to me that you can take one kind of episodic memory you know, the memory of that event as opposed to the memory of the funeral as opposed to the memory of something else and selectively remove those memories. So it, it's, it may be possible one day. But I guess, yeah, the trauma is the sum total of all of those memories in a way, isn't it? Yeah, and, and those are all similar episodic memories. They're memories of a particular event. So, uh, you know, I, there's... It's getting more into the realm of uh, what Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yes, Mind exactly. highlighted. And, and there is some evidence that when you reactivate a memory, it may be possible to somehow specifically affect just that memory that was reactivated. 
and not other memories. So if one could do that, could target these uh, memory-erasing uh, pharmaceuticals just to those uh, reactivated memories, then, then maybe someday in the future, even that would be possible. But that's a lot farther off. Yeah, but what, in terms of that process, I mean, I made the point uh, off the top that that example of of hearing a song on the radio and uh, that that's you know associated with your child, for for example, it's not just a case of you remember what that song is called or you remember the year it came out. There's all these associated memories that that come flooding back with it. Yes, it's true. I mean, it's, I think it was. Uh, what was it? There was a, a novel, I think, that uh, is completely based on that idea. Some novel by Proust. I can't remember. Can't remember the name of it. <laughs> yeah, how ironic! Remembrance of things past, or something like that. So, in terms of understanding that that process, when we basically go back to retrieve a memory, the the other memories that kind of get get pulled off the shelf too. Yeah, and this the art study suggests that. Some of those might be able to be specifically targeted. Now, mm -hmm. memories of your childhood have been in your brain for a long time, and they may have altered over that time so that they're no they're stored in different ways than the more recent memories. And that's something that has been very hard to study in uh, in model organisms. Right. Uh, but it's hard to envision the kinds of mechanisms that we see storing memories for weeks or months actually lasting for many, many years. And it's probably true that as memories are stored in your brain for longer and longer periods of time, they actually change the mechanisms in which they're stored and they may become more resistant to uh, the kinds of manipulations that we are mm -hmm. using. Although. Right. We don't, we don't know that yet. It's just that we haven't been able to study very, very old memories um, in the way that we can study more recently formed memories in right. our systems. Well, but as you say, I mean, this, this paper addresses and helps explain important questions. So I, maybe the question now is, then, well, where do we go from here? What's the next step? Well, for me, the next step is to show that this mechanism we showed in this very simple organism um, can be applied to uh, a vertebrate nervous system. And we're already in the process of doing that, taking some of the molecular manipulations we used to erase a type of memory in uh, this mollusk and seeing if when we um, manipulate that molecule, let's say in a rodent, does it have the same effect? Does it remove these peripheral uh, memories? And I think there's no, in my mind, there's very little question that the molecule, the molecules are very highly conserved. So I, I believe that some connection between some synapses will be affected when we do this in a rodent. But, you know, the memories in a slug and the memories in a rodent are, are very different in their nature. And what I think would be a peripheral memory in a person, I mean, in a, in a slug, you know, what kind of memory is that in a rodent? And so we're quite excited about doing those experiments. And, you know, when I say the kinds of memories I think that we can erase, that's an assumption that I can map the, the kinds of changes we saw in this very simple organism to a more complex organism. But it will be very interesting to find out if that's actually true. So yeah. that that's the first step. Um, and then if we can do that, and there are 
models of PTSD in rodents, and we can see whether we can remove some, you know, peripheral ways of recalling the traumatic experience in a, in a, in a rodent. And if we can do that, then we can at least think about um, would we want to do that in a, in a human yeah, it's, it's certainly fascinating stuff. Uh, Dr. Sossum, we'll leave it there for now. Really appreciate making some time for us here today. Thanks for this. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Dr. Wayne Sossum, uh, the Sossum Lab at the Montreal Neurological Institute and Hospital at McGill University, co-author of this uh, recently published survey, uh, published in the journal Current Biology. So as he says, it demonstrates that different forms of memory coexist in the same neuron, and each form can be manipulated separately. So that's uh, a big finding. Now, in terms of its practicality, we're a ways off from them. But it is really fascinating. I mean, memory is so important. It works in so many weird ways, too. I mean, as our, our friend Steve texted to say, in, in Alzheimer's, Ronald Reagan could remember being a lifeguard on the Rock River in Illinois, but had no memory of being president. You know, and even when it comes to music, they found that that can be really therapeutic for Alzheimer's patients, uh, that the music they hear can help unlock certain memories. So the way that memories are formed, the way they're stored, how some are longer lasting than others, how some can be more easily recalled than others, it's really quite fascinating. And then, of course, he also raises the prospect of what about creating a memory? If we can identify the chemical composition of what a memory is and how it's created, what's to say that we can't design memories? We go from the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind to total recall. <laughs> and maybe that's realistic. I mean, we already know right now that false memories can be formed. Is there a way to do that chemically? So, yeah, it raises all kinds of uh, really interesting questions, I think, doesn't it? 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.